I love coming out here. Um, when I met your pastor a couple years back, um, I guess it's why the Lord's prepared me for Samaritan's Purse, our mission is to go to the remotest places in the world and relieve a little suffering in Jesus' name. And uh, Franklin, Billy Graham's son, um, believes that in going to the tough places. And San Francisco in the Bay Area is just that kind of place. It's uh, why I love coming here. But more than the Bay Area, I think your pastor is the real deal. Now, I'd like to say that about every pastor I meet with. We worked in 11 years with Dr. Maxwell with 4,000 pastors. And um, my mother was a Southerner, and she taught me this principle. If you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. And so there were a lot of nights I just didn't say anything at all. But I find there are two kinds of men leading ministry today. Um, professional guys, you know, have gifts and skills, but are, are uh, just what I say is not the genuine article. And then, oh, a couple nights a week I run into the, the real articles. Called by God, have a heart for people, and committed, not willing to quit. And I'd say that about your pastor tonight and this team. I'll miss somebody, but men like Kyung and, and others, this worship team, it's as, I always come out here just to get charged back up with the worship. Uh, I love the music. I describe it to everybody around the country and, and uh, just blessed to be a part of it. Uh, as your pastor said, I've been traveling a lot. I've been 187 days with Franklin and Samaritan's Purse. I've been in 17 countries and three different continents now. I was privileged to take the first airplane to leave U.S. soil in 60 years and land at Pyongyang Airport in North Korea with $8.5 million in relief supplies. But more important than that, we carried these water filters, a lot of waterborne in, uh, disease right now due to the floods, and we had crosses put on all of the sides of them, and they're going to go to every house uh, north of Pyongyang. And, and so there's just some cool things God's up to right now in North Korea. And I want you to be in prayer. Our team just got back again this last week, and, and we've been invited to, uh, to go right out into the countryside, and it's where the work of of connecting people with God uh, is going to take place. Um, the best part of my life is my family. My wife is in the Sudan right now with my son, Matt. How many of you heard me last time? Who hasn't heard me speak yet? Who hasn't heard me speak? All right. Helps me know which stories to tell. Um, you know, I may talk about some things I've talked about before, but if you have raised kids... Uh, you have to repeat yourself a lot, especially on the important stuff. <laughs> and when I pop in and pop out like this, I keep a list of things that I speak on and stories that I tell, and, and I pay attention to detail. I think that's why I'm a storyteller. But there are things that God has burned into my heart that if I don't talk about them until you get them, I don't believe I have fulfilled what God has called me to do, and that's mostly a ministry with men. Two decades, I pastored a, the church that raised me in Miami, Florida. It was then that I, that I had the privilege of uh, being chaplain in the Miami Dolphins 13 years, all the Marino years. Jimmy Johnson came on board and fired me. I put that as a highlight on my resume. <laughs> I'm sorry if any of you were his fan, but you see what his tenure in Miami was a result of that firing. Um, 
And then 11 years with Dr. Maxwell. Franklin Graham's been a buddy of mine. I spend time in Alaska. Uh, I've known him for about 15 years. We, we uh, f fly bush planes up in Alaska and hang out up there. And, and he kind of interrupted my life a couple of years ago when he invited my kids to join that team and go into the real frontier. And that is a country that's been in war now 35 years there on the front lines in Sudan. And so as my wife is there between now and uh, December the 22nd, I hit the lottery when I found my wife uh, less than last night to the CMA Awards and saw Kenny Chesney get that, uh, that Entertainer of the Year with his uh, uh, big song this year, Blink. And he sang it last night again. It's a cool song. And a lot of times, uh, I grew up in the 70s, so I listened to the Eagles and Led Zeppelin and Steppenwolf and Pink Floyd and had a crush on Stevie Nicks and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but over time, my dad was a country music guy, and I hated it, but I have come to where I listen to it more, especially now since our headquarters in Boone, North Carolina. And I think about that song that says, you know, you, you lay down to take a nap when you're six years old, and you wake up and you're 25, marry your high school sweetheart, and next thing that you know, you're married 50 years and praying that God doesn't take that girl that you're committed to, but would take you instead. It was about two weeks ago I started having some kidney trouble. I uh, played uh, high school and college football and, and uh, was a receiver, you know, and, and I had a quarterback, Larry Moffitt, in college that he loved to throw that high pass and let the <laughs> safeties hit me in the kidneys. And, uh, uh, and so I've had some kidney issues since college. And so... Uh, I was out on the road uh, traveling, and, and uh, I had blood in my urine, and it kind of, you know, you get 52 years old, makes you a bit nervous. I went to the doctor, and, and I'll never forget when he came in, I thought he'd give me an antibiotic, and he looked at me and told me it looked like uh, renal carcinoma. Uh, you know, when you have that told to you, everything stops. My wife was in Sudan. Uh, I really didn't want the kids to know. I didn't want her to ruin the, have ruined the adventure of her life. And so they began running some tests. And uh, whether you notice or not, life doesn't stop. I was invited to come out here and speak with you, and I finally had to tell somebody. So I told my brother, I finally called him Sunday. I was speaking at a church, I forget where. And I said, I need you to fly to Boone. So I told my only brother about it. He stayed with me Monday and Tuesday, and we're waiting some reports from MD Anderson out in Houston, the cancer center. And so today, you guys, whether you know it or not, rented me that motorcycle out front to drive down from San Francisco, you know, just clear my head. It's very kind. I've been on the road for 31 years, and, and I can count on two or three fingers the time that people pay attention to do that. It says of the value you care uh, in adding to people. And so I came down Highway 1. But what uh, Kyung doesn't know, he went over and we maxed out his credit card with a deposit on that, on that Harley. Long as the, I didn't lay it down. You know, a Harley, when you lay it down, that's 3,000 bucks when it touches the ground. So I just want to make sure that my friend, I think it's Tom's taking it back. There wasn't when I turned around. But I was there at the dealership, and the phone rang, and I looked down, and it was the Houston number. And, you know, that just kind of puts a... 
emptiness in your stomach. And I went outside and they said, it's not cancer. You have a real bad uh, cyst that they still may have to do surgery on that's created the blood. Well, I want you to know that, that uh, I'm not Pentecostal, but I, I may be tonight. Yeah. <laughs> so, so all the stuff about being tired and all that stuff, uh, well, it's time to climb the mountain. So let me talk to you for a few minutes the way I talk to my the way I talk to my boys and daughter. They're the very best part of my life. And as we get together as men, this is the stuff that I live for. I'm speaking six times, the Lord's willing, twice tonight, twice in the morning, twice tomorrow night. And I told your pastor, when I come into a room, I really have to be in the environment to understand what God wants me to do. I've got to read the room, and I've got to ask God and pray and, and think, even though I prepare and study and and think through the thoughts that I have, but the topic that God has led us as a team to talk to you about is risking your life. And I would say to you that in my life, I have always looked ahead of me at men that I thought did it right. I grew up real poor, trailer park poor, not poor like African poor, but America kind of poor. Mom had two dresses when I was growing up. One she wore to work during the week and one a she wore to church on Sunday, that kind of home. You know, you could reach in the trailer and touch both sides. My brother and I'd wrestle and push it out, you know, bust the panel and have to go outside, push it back in for Daddy to get home. That was kind of Howard's Trailer Park, Biscayne Boulevard down there in Miami. And so as I, my father being the first man to cross the line of faith and generations and work hard all of his life and in the last 13 years take care of mom and dad because they didn't have any money. Uh, he finally just wore out physically, and mom had Parkinson's disease, and it was my honor and privilege to take care of them. I feel like that I'm a blessed man, that, uh, that the, as the scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. And I've always tried to look out there at those guys that I thought in their marriages or in their kids, they just got it right. And then I try to back up to where I'm at and ask myself the question, how did they go from here to there. There were two men that very much impacted my life, Jake Berger and Ron Lewis. Ron Lewis was my mentor for 30 years of my life, and my daughter will say to this day, even though she's married, that, that the man that gave her the best dates in life were Ron Lewis. It was just that he was about 40 years older than she was. But I remember when Ron was diagnosed with cancer, and he called me to Dallas, Texas. He was a pastor. And he said uh, his news wasn't good. And they gave him just a year or so to live. He lived a couple of years. But two times in the last month of his life, he called me to come see him. One time at the church I got there, it was raining in Florida, Vieira, the East Coast. And, and when I pulled up in the parking lot, it was already past hours, and he'd shriveled down to nothing. And he was in a wheelchair waiting on me, and I went over to the wheelchair, and it was tearing me up to see my best friend like that. And he motioned down, and I got down on my knees in front of him, and he put his hands on me, and he began to pray a prayer blessing on me. I came to encourage him. On the last night of his life, I was preaching in Orlando. His wife said, Kirk, get to the hospital. And I got to the hospital that night, and when I got there, the family was around, and everybody was crying, and 
He was struggling in the pain. The cancer had gotten in his bones and, and literally his bones, when he'd move, they'd snap. And his wife, Sue, said, uh, Ron Kirk's here. And uh, I struggled to go see my friend like that. And I got down next to the bedside. And I'll never forget, he grabbed this arm. He was laying right here. He grabbed this arm. And I got real close where I could just barely hear him. And he said, I want to pray for you one more time. And he prayed for me. And within an hour, he was gone. I ask myself how I can finish that way. How that I can go from where I am today, because the news could have been different. And the question is, would I still be Pentecostal in it? That as Job said, though he slayed me, yet will I love him? Amen. I think there's a question to that. I watched a man by the name of Jake Berger that invested in my boys. He taught my boys to play baseball. He came down from Indiana. He'd get out in the yard in the front when he'd come down in the winters in a galvanized bucket of baseballs, and he'd, he'd pitch the ball to them, and, and uh, they'd hit it. And if he uh, hit grounders to them, if it went between their legs, they had to kiss old Jake, and my boys hated kissing Jake. <laughs> One day he was diagnosed with cancer. I remember it came between the plates in his skull. He laid on a bed back there for weeks, weeks. I never saw a man suffer like that. They'd given him morphine and everything else, and he would, his bed would be soaking wet. The sheet would be soaking wet, his wife Wilma in there. And when the pain would, would creep up on his body, I can still remember what he'd say. He'd say, oh, Jesus, I have tried to live for you all my life. Help me not let you now down in my death. And his body would wrench. He'd say that day after day after day for weeks. It was a Saturday morning that as a pastor I received the call from Wilma. She said, Kirk, I'm going to call the boys over in a minute, but would you come ahead and hear Jake's gone. And I got up there to the small uh, mobile home they lived in on the back of my father's property. When I got back there, Wilma was holding him, and I sat down there and reached over and put my hand on Jake, and he was cold. He'd been dead for hours. I said, Wilma. She was holding him there. She said, I didn't want to ruin anybody's sleep, so I've just been holding him here like this all night. I said, how do I get to where my wife loves me that way? Mrs. Graham, Billy Graham's wife, died here just a few months ago. The day of the funeral, I was sitting there with with a family, and I remember Billy Graham wasn't supposed to speak. He was 89 years old yesterday. And he stood up at the funeral, and they brought him a microphone, and he turned to everybody, and he said, I sat here last night alone with Ruth, and I thought she was more beautiful now than I had ever seen her. My wife's sitting right here next to me, and I'm thinking, he just elevated the game. <laughs> Back in November, when Franklin asked me to join the team, I was there at the Billy Graham Association in Charlotte. I thought I was just there to give a devotion. The elevator door opened and Billy Graham came out. I'd never met him face to face. The most revered man in America. Most respected. Life of integrity. Been a counselor to every president since Eisenhower. I stood up. I said, devotions are over. All the people that were in the room went over to greet him. Franklin called me over, and I walked over to him, and he said, Daddy, he said, this is the man I was telling you about. 
And he's a tall rascal. He had a walker, but he stood up straight. He's about 6'3". And he took off his sunglasses. And if you ever wanted to think about, well, I wonder what God's eyes look like. They got to be Billy Grimm's. They're blue. They look right through you. He looked at me. He took my hand and he said, Kirk. And I said, somebody needs to get this. He knows my name. <laughs> Here's what he said. He said, I was having devotions this morning and God told me that you were going to help my son. He said, I've been praying for you. Franklin turned and looked at me and he said, don't be the first man to make a liar out of my dad. <laughs> so May 1st, I joined the team. If you want to finish, well, you back up to tonight, I think it's the 8th of November. And you say in the last quarter of this year, as we set the stage for 2009, how do we not grow weary in our well-doing in that Galatians 6, 9? It says, here's how we don't grow weary. We can't lose heart. And the problem with men all across this country is they've gotten their hearts attached to the wrong thing. And so in the sessions that I have, we're going to talk about risking your heart for the right thing, keeping it attached to the right things. I've been through some pretty tough times in my life. It hasn't been all leading the Billy Graham Association and John Maxwell's organization. There have been times that I thought I'd lose my family. When Satan attacked beyond anything I would have ever dreamed. There have been nights when I thought my wife would leave me. I remember when I'd get our little babies around and Ashley, she's now 27, Clint's 26, Matt's 25. I'd get them around when they were 10 years old. And, and I mean, it felt like there was a mountain in front of me bigger than anything I could humanly climb. I'd say three things to them. Don't you ever forget that your dad loves the Lord with all his heart. Number two, don't you ever forget that I love your mother unconditionally. Number three, you kids always know that I will love you till the day I die. I want you to know I've said that to them when they were 8 years old, 10 years old, 12 years old. I said it to them just the other day when they left for the Sudan. Your dad loves the Lord with all his heart. He loves your mother unconditionally, and I will love you till I take my last breath. We are going to be able to keep our heart attached to the right thing if we don't get weary and then attach it to the wrong thing. Because when we get weary is when we make our worst decisions, often bad decisions. And what I'd like to do in this first talk tonight is uh, take you to a passage of Scripture in the book of Philippians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, get with somebody around you. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about something very, very important. Now, your, your decisions define you. I was with my son Matt when he first went to Sudan June two years ago. We walked into a hospital where a little boy was tied to a post. Now, when you get into the Sudan, the first thing that hits you is the heat. The second thing is the smell. The third thing is the wounds on the, on the victims of, of, of that Islamic attack on the Christian church. They have set out to eradicate the church and the Christians. And 
We went into a hospital where the GOS, the government of Sudan, the northern troops had come in and attacked a village. And this children's wing was just full with children. I walked up there and I saw a surgeon, uh, an African uh, doctor, and nurses in their white coats covered in blood. And there's no air condition. There's no screens in the window. And everything from, from little kids that step on landmines to machete wounds and, and gunshots and all of those things. And, and after having been there a few days and my emotions at their limit, I looked up at these doctors down this way. And here's this post right here and this little boy and his legs tied to the post with a piece of gauze. He's about, oh, I don't know, five or six years old, maybe seven. And I look up at them and he's crying and the noise is there and all these kids are upset. And as they come down that way, it's just kind of overwhelming. And and I remember I said, I'm here with Samaritan's Purse. How can we help? And the doctor kneels down in front of me and he turns this little boy around. And I can see now that he's got one arm that is gone from just above his elbow and it's wrapped with a piece of gauze. And he's crying these big alligator tears, this little six, seven-year-old boy. What had happened was when the troops came in, they ran out of bullets, so they just started trying to kill everybody they could with machetes. And they went to hit this kid, and he flinched, and they took his arm off, and they didn't even have any pain medicine. And that African doctor knelt down with tears in his eyes. He says, you go back and you tell them this. You go back to America and you tell the Americans this. We need people to come and hold this little boy. He didn't say go get medicine. He said, would you get somebody that would be willing to come and hold little boys that are the victims of this war? Samaritan's Purse goes to the remotest places of the world and wants to relieve a little suffering in Jesus' name. The thought that I have for us as we think about the Bay Area and we think about the world that we live in right now Guys, is that unless your head's stuck in the ground, we're in trouble. We're focused on oil prices and recession and subprime mortgages and credit card debt. Satan has done a great job at getting us entrenched in the things that cause us not to be what Christ wanted us to be. And that's his hands and feet to a lost and dying and hurting world. And so we come into a place like this tonight, we ask ourselves the question, are we making the kinds of decisions as men that define us? That when we come to the end of our journey, when you come to the end of 2007 and I come to the end of 2007, have you lived the kind of life that Christ wanted you to live? Or have you bought into the lie? In Philippians chapter 2, Verse number five, there's some thoughts that I'm going to give you. Because see, the, thought, the thing that I, I was talking to your pastor tonight, I said, what do you think the guys need? And as he and I and other leaders like us believe, the time is short. The need is urgent. And I think that when we come in as men, we are asking the same question that people that don't know God ask. Does Christianity work? You know, some of you have walked with the Lord a long time. There might be some of you that came in here tonight that haven't even begun in your journey of faith. And we all ask the same question. 
will the Christian faith give me enough strength to get through what I face? I'm here to tell you the last few days, it's tested me. Last thing that I thought I would hear. And there was none of my family around for me to lean on. And the Lord said, I'm here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let me give you some thoughts on what I think we need to begin with as we go into this, um, as we go into this uh, season. I lost my place. That's never happened to me before. <laughs> 2 5. Your attitude should, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Did you hear that principle? Your attitude should be that the same of Christ Jesus. I want you to back up and see what that attitude is. Chapter 1, verse 6. He says this. Being confident of this, that who, he who began a good work. I want you to underline that. Began a good work. That's principle number one. Got to have the right beginning. You see, if, if you're going to be able to lead your families, lead your life, lead as a businessman, if you're going to be the kind of man God wants you to be, you've got to have the right beginning. Every man in here that starts this next couple of days that can't say there's been a time in your life when you had the right beginning, you need to get that cleared up while you're here. It was April the 14th, 1967. In front of an old flowered couch in Howard's trailer park in a trailer that my dad called the pastor over because I wanted to pray and invite Jesus Christ into my heart. You say, how do you know that that specifically? Because I had a flood in my basement last year and all the poop came up out of the pump that went out and we had to go through a bunch of boxes and after my mother died, I found a box and inside of it was my baptism certificate. I was baptized the next day, Sunday, April 15th. And so for all of these years, I can remember that I was about 10 or 12 years old, but I remember praying and inviting Jesus Christ into my life. But I had to go from the time I was 67, I was born in 55, 12 years old, all the way to 52 to say, I finally have that piece of paper. But I want you to know the important thing is not the piece of paper, it's not the date, it's knowing that you've had the right beginning, that there has been a time in your life when you have prayed and invited Jesus Christ into your heart to be your heart, to be your Lord and Savior. I watched Franklin Graham in Tacoma, Washington this last week on the first night of that crusade, say that if you'd repent of your sins, if you would believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, and invite Him into your life as your Savior and Lord, your life would be changed forever. We saw 318 people literally run to the altar to pray that prayer. The most significant thing a man ever does is have the right beginning. Strength for today, hope for tomorrow. You can't get through today and you can't get through all your tomorrows if you haven't had the right beginnings. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
And for men today, if you want your dreams to last in a world that's trying to put them out, you need to open your mind and heart to Him. And I want you to know they're trying to put your dreams out. Second principle I want to share with you is that you have to have not only the right beginning, you have to have the the right mind. You have to think right. He says... um, I've got a new Bible. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to its completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way all about you, since I have in you you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share God's grace with me. You've got to think right. You see, I think what happens to too many of us is that we've not allowed the Word of God to transform our minds. You know where my biggest battle is? It's in my own mind. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, you cannot think right if you don't have the transformation of God's Word through your mind. The right beginning, you've got to have the right mind, Number three, you've got to have the right lifestyle. The third chapter in the 13th verse says, you've got to forget the past. Listen, there's not any of us that hadn't messed up in here, one way or another. If we're not careful, we give up on the future because of the things that weigh us down now. The things that we think about that keep coming up out of our past. Been one of the most difficult things I've faced in life. I think my, my wife is, uh, if I've forgotten about it, she'll remind me of it. I'll assure you that. And then she'll cry and say, I don't know why I bring those things up. I don't want to. We'll get down on Hey, Lord, I go back and remember when I gave my heart to you. Right again. We pray and ask Help us stay in love with each other. That's the right mind. And then number three, the right lifestyle. You've got, to, uh, you've got to live the right way. The Bible says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. What a man sows, he's going to reap. If you sow to the good, you're going to reap the good. If you're going to sow the bad, you're going to reap the bad. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so there's got to come a time in our life, right beginning, right mind, right lifestyle. You've got to live the right way. Fourth, you've got to have the right resources. Chapter 4 and verse 19. The Scripture says He's given us everything for life and godliness. Everything. And so we sit back and we think to ourselves. How do we conquer the challenges of tomorrow? Right beginning, right mind, right lifestyle, right resources. Often people will say to me, uh, how in the world did you get your kids to do what what they're doing? I I didn't. 
I was sitting uh, three years ago with Franklin. I thought he was going to send him to Katrina, do some relief down there in the Gulf. Fourteen days later in a set of shots, they were on the front line in the Sudan. There have been many nights that they've been evacuated and under attack that I found myself saying, God, this is beyond me. About six weeks ago, I traveled into the Sudan to see my son and his team. They just completed their 80th church in 24 months. Churches that will seat between 350 and 1,000 people. Concrete structure, concrete foundation, zinc roofs, trusses, mahogany Guys, 80 churches. I went out there and I was so proud of him. Matt looked at me, my 25-year-old son, and he said, Dad, don't be proud of me. We went about 30 kilometers west to a little community called Lanya. He said, I want you to meet the pastor. We're going to dedicate this church tomorrow. So we go out there, and in the background, one of these concrete churches, it was very cool. We're sitting under these three mango trees, and they'd done their very best, swept the mud down there, and they had some coffee. It ended up making me sick. <laughs> my son, Matt, said, it'll be all right. It's boiled, and I got sick. So we're sitting there drinking this coffee, and... And the translator's interpreting this uh, story this pastor's telling me. Over 35 years of his life, he's been tortured and beaten, taken to what they call the White House up in Juba, a place of torture for pastors to get them to stop preaching Christ. The government of Sudan, Muslim troops, repeatedly came in and took him away. He would not stop preaching Christ. He'd escape each time. He'd come back down through Uganda, back around to his people. He kept telling me they bombed his church and then they burnt what was left. And he would keep coming down and his people would meet underneath these three mango trees. And they'd drag him off and beat him again. But he would not stop preaching Christ. Finally, in front of him and all of his people, they raped his wife. They said, will you stop preaching Christ? More than 30 minutes, he said. He would not. It was two years ago that they took his 14-year-old son and put him to the ground, put an AK-47 to his head and said, will you stop preaching Christ? Will you become a Muslim? He said, I will not. And they shot him and killed him on the spot where I was sitting. Over about an hour and a half, he told that story. I sat there with sweat running down my side, I looked at the scars that were on him and his wife as she sat there with tears running down her face. And I thought to myself, do I have enough strength for what I face? Enough courage for what I face? Do I have inside of me uh, what it takes here in America to those of us that have been given so much to live the kind of life that a man that, that, that he lives that has so little? Matt turned and he looked at me and he said, Dad, I want you to go back and don't forget that's not a story. He said, that's a man's life. At some point, they're going to write a legacy about all of us. Not the car we drive. Not the house we live in. But the life we led. 
And I believe that the Christian faith has the strength that we need and the courage that we need, but it takes a beginning, a right mind, right lifestyle, and the right resources. And if you foul up on one of those four, there's a great price to pay because we can become a castaway. Well, Jake Berger said his whole life, he was just a grain salesman from Indiana, said to my dad one day, can I put my little trailer back here on the back of your property and pitch the baseballs to my boys? You know, if my boys were here tonight, every time I tell the story of Jake Berger, they cry. He drove a Pinto. You know, in Miami, you got beat up for driving something like that. <laughs> But he marked my boys forever. And when we go to Sudan, my boys stood in that bedroom and watched Jake say, Jesus, I may not let you die. You die like you live. And so as we begin this journey over the next couple of days, I want you to risk your heart. I want you to put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you hadn't had the right beginning, I want you to settle that while you're here. I want you to get off here and walk out under these pretty woods or get with one of these small group leaders. But I want you to be clear that having the Right lifestyle and the right mind and the right resources don't matter if you haven't had the right beginning. One of the things I love to do is share my faith. I got in the plane the other day going down to Miami. I'm always in a good mood going down there. And I got up, upgraded and I was in first class and I got over and here was a girl that was, I'd never seen anybody do it. She was so tiny, she was laid down in the seat with kind of her knees the seat over here, and sound asleep, all dressed in Prada. She had some money on. And so I sat down, thought it was kind of unique. She was probably, I don't know, 35, 40 years old. And she kind of sat up and woke up, and she was from London, and we started talking on the trip. And she was, and she wanted to know why I was so happy. And I said, I'm going to my home. I'm going to Miami. Joe Stone Crabs and Cuban food and Humidity hitting me in the face when I get off the jetway and, you know, just everything that I love, 84 degree water, just all the stuff that I love. And all of a sudden it hit me. I may never see her again. But I said, you know, this is the place where my father, she said, have a go at that again? I said, my dad's a coal miner, Edinburgh, Scotland, five generations of coal miners. When we got to Miami, somebody cared enough about him, a little southern girl, my mother, to share with him how that he could know that he could live forever. I just, that, just shut up and I was quiet. She looked out the window over there and I could see her shoulders shaking a little bit. She turned back to me. She was of German origin. And we began to talk again and reached down, pulled out my Bible. I told her how she could pray and have her life changed forever. And there in the midst of that airplane in about a 90-minute flight from Charlotte to Miami, 
another person had the right beginning in their life. I got down, I almost couldn't get rid of her. <laughs> we went down to the carousel, we got the suitcases. She wanted to know what to do next. I gave her my Bible. That's, I gave her my good Bible, too. <laughs> That's why I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got a new Bible. I've got this one, and it's not marked up yet, so some of my messages aren't in there. And so I gave her my Bible. It caught me at a weak moment. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, uh, gave her, gave her uh, directions to the web address and how to follow up and all that stuff. And then a few days later, it was very cool. I got an email from her. And she said this. She said, I want you to know I really meant what, what I prayed. Let me tell you something. There's nothing that'll jazz you up like that. Nothing. Two things last forever, the Word of God and the souls of people. It's worth the risk. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this first session, just the talk about Jake Berger and Ron Lewis. Thank you, Father, for Paul in writing Philippians, that we could have a right beginning and a right mind and lifestyle and resources. Thank you for that little girl that prayed to receive you. I thank you for the good doctor's report. I just pray that I would live the rest of my life faithfully. I pray in these talks we have over the couple of days that it would be encouraging to this, these men. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.